0: The motivation for me to recruit the way I do is that it turns into money. It turns into happy clients. It turns into profit. It turns into successful websites. Welcome to the Soul Space Podcast. Thanks for listening. Okay, we're back with part two. This is Sarah Spalding from the University of Colorado. We're talking about uh, diatoms.org, and this is a website that SoulSpace built for, for you about two years ago. We took you from an Expression Engine based website to a Craft CMS based website, and when we were uh, before we took a break, we were talking about the different types of people who look at this website, the audience um, profiles of people who come in. You were talking about having. Um, obviously, academics who are um, experts in North American diatoms. And we also talked about lay people who are just doing a Google search what's a diatom. And I hope that you're turning up above Wikipedia results because you're like just one step beyond Wikipedia for what are are diatoms. Just that top little nav nav item on your website is such a good little brief on answering that question. Um, So you have you got academics, lay people just doing a search. Um, You have elementary school students maybe doing a little project here or there, high school students, same thing. You also mentioned that government agencies are starting to require use of this website um, in some types of uh, uh, government-backed or sponsored work. So that was that was striking. That was really interesting. Sounds like a funding opportunity to me. I think you ought to go out and chase down some money for that. I know. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so that's really cool. It's exciting. Um, so this this website is um, its job is to be a resource for people who uh, have an interest of the different types that we just described. Let's let's imagine an ele- elementary school kid. Uh, let's imagine they have some sort of a product a project they have to do over a weekend. And like, what's the nature of something that they they would have to do? Are they, are they needing to go out and collect a st- sample, bring it into a microscope and try to identify some diatoms in a river or Creek water near them? Like, what are they doing?
1: Yeah, they do. And in fact, I get those people respond. they They go to the contact us buttons and I'll get, you know, fourth graders or high school students, and they'll have a specific question about, the younger kids seem like they have a microscope, they've gone out and they've taken pictures with their phone and they said, they'll say, you know, I think I have these species. Can you tell me, um, you know, can you help me out? And, and it's really important to me to respond to those folks even more than the experts, because I really want to, it's an audience, I really want to keep engaged. And yeah, so kids will be able to take pictures with their uh, their phone on, a, on a, a microscope at home and, and look at water and, and have a, a science fair project. Or some of the other ones I get from uh, students at, in the higher grades are um, they'll ask questions about. I'm designing a a project, and I want to look at the effects of carbon on diatoms. Do you think this would work, or what do you think of my lab setup? And and it's and it's great. I I really I really like that feedback that people are using it. Yeah. And and another one I get a lot are are from people. Um, you know, in, in countries where there aren't a lot of other resources, in Pakistan or in India or Iran, I have people that I correspond with regularly wow. that are saying, can can you tell me more about how to uh, process the uh, sample so I can make a diatom slide? And last week I, I put up another little... A practitioner article about for people to how you can do that, how you can make a preparation if you don't have a, a laboratory and a fume hood and a bunch of instruments just to make this a little more accessible. Fume hood. Yeah. 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 If you like boil nitric acid oh.
0: or, or <laughs> a laboratory. <laughs> Why are you boiling nitric acid?
1: Oh, gosh. So Okay, diatoms have uh, cell walls that are made out of silica, and then and but they're they're mixed in a lot of other stuff in there. Like you've got the the cytoplasm inside the cell, and then you've got some aquatic plants that they're growing on. And if you look on this diatoms.org, and you see these, you know, we've got some amazing pictures of this silica cell wall. We had to blast away the organic. Material in order to see these amazing cells. Um, other places we show what the live cells look like, um, and so there's. It's it's pretty easy for people to look at the live cells under their microscope. But if they really want to see the details, they need to um, use some harsh chemicals. Or I, I put up a, on a let's see what what is it called. Um, I forget what my thing is, how to clean samples, that's the, what I just posted, how to clean diatom samples, which means how to get rid of all the organic material, so you can look at these fancy valves. Um, so, um, tr- again, trying to put it at a, a, a range of levels, so if somebody just doesn't have anything, they could put it on, a put their pond sample on a hot plate, and and, and get away with being able to make one of these, these, um, slides to look at under their microscope.
0: Um, my wife, Regina has got a lot of fun vent hood stories. Oh yeah. Uh, (laughs) And in her, in her master's program, she would go out on research cruises and they would, they would take a boat out with a bunch of scientists and a bunch of equipment. And they would go and pull samples from, uh, you know, different bodies of water. And one of the, One of the longest cruises was about five weeks long and they went out to the to the Bering Strait. And um, she was telling me a story about how they had pulled some samples. uh, They'd taken samples and they she was back in the lab on the boat and the seas were so high. um, The waves were tossing and turning all over the place. And she spilled something in the vent hood. I don't know, some kind of acid. And it could have been really, really bad. And she's telling me stories about seasickness under a vent hood in a lab Oops. on a boat. And, um, I mean, if I've ever heard of somebody having to do their time to get their degree, um, that's, that's an example. And, you know, if you're going to go out and, and collect samples, uh, of, of diatoms, I mean, they, they don't just present themselves to you. You have to, <laughs> you have to climb through the muck sometimes to get them. Um, how, I mean, how, how far ranging do you do you scientists for, for the North American um, diatoms that you guys are studying and cataloging, um, How how much of that do you experience? Like how much of that rugged outdoors kind of a vibe is there?
1: Oh, people who are in this field, I think, really love nature and being out in the field. And yeah, that's a big part of it is going out and seeing where – these species grow and um, under what conditions. And, and I try to get my students out on a on field trips, not for five weeks at a time here. We can you don't have to do that so much if you're you don't have to go on a boat, um, but in terms of when we're working on on rivers. Um, or actually, we've done a lot of work on small lakes where we'll Go in up in Rocky Mountain National Park or in the Tetons to collect um, sediment cores. And that's just a part of like understanding um, science and nature to see the whole process of, of where it comes from. And I think it really helps students to be engaged. It's, it's hard if you just look at a spreadsheet and see the numbers to really have the have all the meaning of that. Maybe that's kind of that answer with the climate deniers is to have a little more experiential feeling of, of, of being out in, in, in the
0: world. Regina goes to the, to the wharf here in Santa Cruz, and she sometimes takes um, groups of students. She does a, she does a teaching thing at Stanford in the summer where um, uh, high school kids from sort of around the world, they apply to this program and they, it's sort of like this this advanced um, advanced level program for um, for high school kids from all over the place. And there are some science tracks, and she teaches one of those. And she'll take those kids on field trips, and she'll take them out to the wharf here in Santa Cruz, and they'll do a net tow. So they'll throw this device over into the water off the wharf, and they'll they'll tow it in, and as they as their toy it's like um it's almost like pantyhose it's like that level of filtration mm-hmm. and so she's she's these, these students are pulling this rope in and they they pull it up from from the water you know 20 feet below however far it is and then the result is sometimes if there's a bloom it's this big glob of slimy you know gross stuff and they they smell it and they get their hands on it and they really make that connection with um, what's going on out there? What, what's going on with these numbers and what do the numbers mean? And it's more than just a spreadsheet. She's always watching the students and she's looking for which of the, like what subset of those students are going to be, um, are going to show that aptitude or that interest, that sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like a craving that, of, of curiosity about that, the, the hands-on part of science. There's one or two, one or two kids out of the group bunch of them are disinterested. It you know it doesn't really doesn't really speak to them. But there's a, usually one or two kids who are really fired up by being out there on the boat. She'll take them out on a on a whale watching tour or whatever. And the wind and the sea is blowing in your face, and you're talking about science, and you're seeing all these animals bouncing around, and just sort of that visceral experience of connecting your curiosity with the world. Not everybody has that, uh, but sometimes she's she's on the lookout for that. Um, You must encounter that with your students. Oh,
1: yeah. And I I love it. And that's, you know, those are the people that end up being scientists. One of the things I love about this place where I work is it's those, they were those kids on the boat that got excited about things and they, you know, carry that on. I, you know, work with these just amazing smart people who work on, um, you know, atmospheric chemistry on the dating of ice cores on isotopic records and ice cores on um, the record of, of Greenland ice sheet, just things uh, you know, just a wide variety of things that you can just work to understand the, you know, you know, not just life on this planet, but just the processes. And, and I think that, you know, when kids get a, a whiff of that, of that, that there's something really exciting out there that, um, you, you know, you, it kind of sticks with you and it, and it can really change, change lives that way.
0: The reason what we've been talking about for 45 minutes up to this point matters, how it's been hardly anything about websites. The reason it matters is your website, diatoms.org, the one that we helped you rebuild serves a certain group of people and that certain group of people have um, each of those groups that we were talking about they have a certain set of needs and desires like um, you can translate the language in a few different ways that um, sometimes it's most effective using some marketing language where they have um, they have a pain you have the medicine what exactly are is their pain like in in the case of your website I'm trying to identify this diatom that I pulled out of the river near my town and um, I, you know, I, I need to I, I have it under the microscope on a slide, but I, need, I want to identify it for a science project or just for raw curiosity. So the job of my team and our work is to create, um, ch- create a system where that curiosity, where that desire can flow really smoothly through your web property, through your directory of these diatoms to get these people the answers that they need so that their interest and their curiosity and their des- desire is not impeded. That we don't detract at all. That the, the the force of that interest that they have is not depleted at all. That there's no friction. Like we don't exist. The the website's not in the way in any in any way, shape or form. We see that as our mission, um, and that whole that whole constellation of things that contributes to that kind of a website, that that kind of a, a resource for people. Um, I've, lately, I've been calling that web reliability. I'm not trying to plug anything here, but. The way that I think about how we've, we've served our clients for 20 years and what they all have in common is they, they need to create that reliable web experience to serve the needs of whatever audience they're serving. And in, in your case, we know we've done a good job if we see that someone's on the website for a long time and they're analyzing and studying some specific area. We also know that if they come in and get out pretty quickly and we watch that path and we see that they did an identification using the morphology section of the site and got exactly what they needed quickly and easily, that was also a success. So when, when we started working with you, um, one of the people from my, time, uh, from my team, Mitchko, was, was the lead on the project. When you guys initiated the project, how much time did she, did she spend with you talking about the audience and talking about who was going to be coming in and what they needed to do? I wonder if you remember that, that, that stage.
1: Yeah, well, I, I, I can't um, go through this without mentioning Tim Gasparak, who is a, a designer that um, actually I met through a friend, a good friend of mine when I lived in California, um, who was also a designer. And in our previous version of the website, um my friend said, you got to just look at this. And, and he was really interested in it. And we talked for a long time and worked about together on that audience um, aspect of it. Um, and, and I think he was, he was really helpful to us in, in um, I have to say, we, we had so many hurdles to get through with the university We had to um, just the way we (laughs) such an you know there's so many rules with the way that we had to um, post this project and and have bids come in. We were really constrained, and we were really wanted to be prepared before we go went to that point to present it because it was really hard for us to be able to say how are we going to get to know these different potential web developers and then decide um, between them, you know, like how do we, how are we going to do that? And, and he had, we, we worked together. We're both good. You know, we got to be good friends and he was kind of advising me. um, It took us probably a year of spinning up, getting through this bid process before we were even able to um, get that far but when we came to you guys, we knew what we wanted <laughs> and we were trying to and we thought that you would be able to understand what we were trying to say. And um, and so um, that part became really easy because um, Michiko certainly under, understood that, you know, our, our conversations at that point were um, there was not a lot that we had to um struggle with cuz we knew what we wanted and she understood what we were saying and she could implement it um and in a way that in in a lot of times in ways that we hadn't thought about yet like better things than we than we had um um been able to conceive because we didn't know the the technology
0: of how you can do things i'm going to in the in the notes on this show i'll get tim's uh some of Tim's links up there so people can read more about Tim. He was a really great partner. That was one of the reasons we knew that the project was, would succeed was your seriousness about it and his, um, sort of his ownership of, uh, of the, uh, the softer parts of the, of the requirements, uh, his, his ownership of um, knowing how to translate this audience question into language that uh, a team like mine can work with. That was a critical piece. Um, when we when we engaged in the project, was there was there a time for you that got to a point where we were, you were comfortable with how things were going to go and how the plan was set up? Uh, was there a time prior to that? What, is there anything you can say about how we got from um, you and Tim knowing what you wanted to do, finding someone who could do it, and getting over the the initial sense of resistance or discomfort about will these guys deliver on time and on budget how do we know how are we going to check the work trust but verify how that how it all took place there
1: yeah i have to say that we there was it was a big discomfort part when we when we started cuz we we felt like how do how do we know that we're going to be able to communicate well that we're that that we didn't have a sense of that we didn't know if if we would be able to how our discussions were going we were we weren't sure at first because we we're like um did michiko did she understand where do we we don't understand what she's saying did she understand what, you know we were <laughs> we were we were like yeah that was uncomfortable and um and um it didn't take us very long though to see that um not only did she understand it she was thinking further than we were
0: um
1: that and and that was one of the things that was really fun is that it's like wow you didn't we didn't know that we could do this we didn't know that we could have these tabs that link things and make lists of things so there were some things that you know once we started feeling more comfortable and seeing that wow this thing is going together um we it it we like relaxed a little bit, so um, yeah, it was nice to get that to that point.
0: <clears throat> were there ongoing, regular deliverables? Like, were you seeing some sort of steady progress that that helped put you at ease? Or, I mean, how did Mitch go handle that side of things?
1: Yeah, things you, you know, we were we were kind of worried about you know time frame initially, and you know just meeting what our you know sort of marked standards were. And, um, but I was just so happy with it. I'm so happy with this site. It's one of the things that, you know, I think in my career, I'm, I'm really proud of it. I've, you know, I, before we did this last version, I've probably, I've worked on it for maybe 10 years of a lot of just my, you know, being up in the middle of the night, putting up con you know content, or my and my husband is saying, "Will you stop working <laughs> on that thing?" Yeah, and um, and I, I just it has meant a whole lot to me. Um, because and I know that it means a lot to the people that work on it, and so I, yeah, it's just been really satisfying. We have an editorial review board that before any of the content goes up what I mean by that is our species page it needs to be reviewed by one of the editors or we have also international reviewers and um uh reviewers um have come back to me and say you know I wish I could work on this all the time meaning I wish I could produce content for this because this is something that's really um satisfying and meaningful in my life. (laughs) And we, we, um, we've, we held, I'm, I'm out of funding right now, but for a while we were able to hold workshops once a year where we would get together a number of experts and work for us. Generating the content is, is a a mini research exercise for each page. There's a, a lot of work that, goes into it and maybe if everything goes well it would take one person you know 40 hours to do each each page it's a lot of 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 work Um, i had no
0: idea it took that much time
1: yeah it's 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 big and and um and so um it's something though that you know the the people that are on our contributor page um really in, enjoy it and you know it's really satisfying and and I encourage my students and these people they put these on their their CVs as I you know created these pages and and because it represents a professional contribution
0: I'm looking through um, I mean it's vast I'm looking through just the the nichia uh, I I guess that's a that's a part of your morphology filters and Mm -hmm. the, the idea that it's taking you guys that much time to generate one of these pages is pretty astounding. Um, but that, you know, that's praise for the internet. I mean, we have, we have so much knowledge exchange nowadays, um, that, that didn't exist before. My kids will have no idea what an encyclopedia is. they will have no experience of going to the bookshelf, pulling down the encyclopedia and saying, Oh, the, the, the question I have is answered in five paragraphs and that's it. That's the sum yeah. of it. No, not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. Everything's connected now. We were um, we were talking in the in the previous segment about women in science, and we we should take a minute to talk about. There's a parallel that you and I have uh, that that our sort of our worlds have, where we talked about how difficult it is to um, to get women into the science sciences and to. To clear the way for them to flourish, there we have a very similar problem in web development. Uh, in the web development world, um, it's uh, it's disproportionately populated by a certain demographic. For the most part, it's um, uh, white males, you know, 30ish years of age, 40s, that kind of thing. It, when we post a job listing and we're looking for someone to join the team, it it takes a while to get um, to get a mix of candidates to come in. So I was wondering, I don't know if we're, we're probably farther along on your side of that problem than we are in my, in my discipline. Maybe you could give me some tips on what we could do to, to, to fix that, to make that better. I try to have a balanced team. I like to have uh, a nice diverse team because I've just seen that it produces better results for the clients over time. And the, the team culture is much more rounded that way. And we just have uh, just a greater sense of greater depth of of happiness as a, as a group when we have a, a nice mix of people. Um, what are you guys doing? What are you doing in your discipline to to make improvements on that to sort of remedy that issue?
1: You know, I have to say that a lot of the direction come the at the the higher levels within the University of Colorado. The University of Colorado is not that diverse of a place, but um, within the institution, they've said you better start having a more diverse, um, uh, set of professors or, or else. Um, and, um, and because we need to have a more diverse student body and, and diverse students aren't going to come if there are not diverse professors. And, and where I work, um, there has been, um, really a, a push and it, so over the time that I've been here, it's just been so refreshing to to have um, a ver- more of a variety of people. Um, we we now just of as of last month have a a woman director of our institute, and it it really changes the dynamics, and I think allows women to speak up. What that's one of the things that I notice most directly is that. Um, you know, going from where m- men are most numerous in a discussion uh, and just a few women, they will be, uh, you know, not say very much and, and not enter the con- conversation. And I, so I think it's so valuable to get whatever that critical mass is to, to help women feel comfortable and welcome because I can say myself I did not feel welcome for a very long time in any, in, you know, even in graduate school in, in the positions that I had, it was clear to me that I was not what they wanted. And, um, and that for, for me, I worked, I sort of worked for myself and my own internal vision, what I knew science, what I wanted to be. And I knew what science was going to be, but I walked a line of thinking, Um, you know, I think I'm pretty sure somebody's going to throw me out. I'm just waiting for that to happen (laughs) and I'll, and I'll just be here until that happens and then, then I'll be gone. And, and, and so now (laughs) I, you know, it, it, it's something different to be, um, welcome in a place to, you know, to feel welcome because there are other people like me and, um, you know, in sort of telling you of how to get to that critical mass, um, I think it's there's a lot of extra effort to to get there to get the first women in and diverse people of of gender and ethnicity and culture to come through the door um, to to start and you know to nurture them to make sure they they come and feel welcome. And, um, and it just, you're right about making a better life and a light better life work balance for everybody. It, it's just, um, you know, a happier day, happier, happier working.
0: Yeah. Um, I was mentioning before that my wife does a, a summer teaching program, um, at, at Stanford, which is one of the you know local universities here where we live. And, um, one of the things she, she gets to do is they, uh, they pay her to go through the application process. So, um, um, among the teachers who are going to be teaching in the program, they have this online system where kids submit their applications and they sort of subdivide those up. And, um, she, she's part of that, um, selection pool. And one of the things that she's, that she does, I, I watch her do this, you know, on the weekends, she'll, She'll go through a batch of applications and she will be on the lookout for someone who on paper doesn't look the way, um, it, it would just be easy if you chose a subset of people.